Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, this is Otaku Movie Anatomy. Breaking down and reviewing some of the best and worst in the animated film genre. Is its power level over 9,000? Or is it just another Yamcha? Find out now on Otaku Movie Anatomy! Oh! Play the sad music! Oh, there it is. If we're gonna start this, this is the song we start with. So emotional. I know, right? (laughs) We've had some fun weeks. Old folksy song. Were you in a movie that where you're like, oh, someone's gonna die yeah. in this movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. people, a lot, well, especially if you're gonna watch a Miyazaki film, then yes, of course, a lot of people are gonna die. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Messa. <laughs> I'm gonna be your host tonight as we cover The Wind Rises, Miyazaki's last film, his farewell as a director here in the anime world. But first, let's meet who we are here with. To my Hi. left. I am Yuma Ninja. But <laughs> you're pointing at me. What are you doing? <laughs> I am a chubby buddy, Michelle. Hello. That's right. And so we're going to get right into it, you guys, because, well, I mean, we've got a, a big, epic film right here. I mean, I, I wouldn't say so epic, but epic because it's Miyazaki's last, last film. film. And it was long. It was long enough it to be in epic. It was, yeah, it was long <laughs> enough. That's for darn sure. Um, okay, so first off, before we even get into the film, I think it's important to get into Miyazaki himself, because we are dealing with the great one. I mean, when it comes to the anime world, when we're dealing with anime films, we are, Miyazaki is the, the pinnacle of, of directors, of creators in anime. And if you don't know his work, then what, then what are you doing? Go, what are you doing? Go watch some of these films. I'm going to tell you all about them. First off, his career has spanned over 50 years this is insane. He started with uh, Toei Animation in 1963. He held various jobs all throughout the industry until he got his first director uh, debut in 1979, doing Lupin the Third. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Castle of Cagliostro. That's it. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. That's like the only Lupin movie I can actually really stomach because the rest of them don't really. They're so like boom action, wah, 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 you know. But Kaguyosha was really sweet, actually. That's because he directed it. Yes, thank you, Miyazaki. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. Uh, shout out to Tony Oliver, uh, voice of Lupin, right there. Fantastic, talented ah. voice actor. Um, he did one of my one of my favorites, Nausicaa in '84. And uh, another one, a big recommendation for you guys, uh, Nasca is wonderful. But it wasn't until 1997 when he broke into the Western culture, really, with Princess Mononoke. Now, Princess Mononoke yeah. is, a, is a cool little stat in 97, or when it came out in Japan. It held the box office record in Japan up until later that year when it lost the box office record to James Cameron's Titanic. Oh, it's oh. Titanic ruining everything. Yeah, can you believe that? <laughs> 97, wow. I know, right? It didn't feel that long ago, I guess. Yeah. It was. It was It was pre-college, huh? It makes you feel... Right? It makes yeah, you feel that was high school. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Let's not date ourselves too much. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> well, come, come on, on kids. <laughs> well, like kids watch the YouTube. I think we've been doing that like these past few shows. Yeah, if you can't figure out how old we are via math by now, <laughs> you're just not paying attention. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've totally forgot to turn off my phone. I'm totally that guy right now. Oh, that was I, I, totally, that, I don't know if you guys heard my phone Mundo. Oh Get my out gosh. Of here. I know, right? Get Fired. Out. Okay, here we go. 
Um, moving on, you guys. So after Princess Mononoke, um, I think because of the content, he couldn't actually win the Academy Award. He actually was up for an Oscar for Mononoke, but he ended up winning with Spirited Away, which I think was much easier on American audiences. Yeah. Even though personally, I think Princess Mononoke was his greatest work, and no. Spirited Away was still wonderful, but it wasn't nearly as strong. Yeah. I think it was easier for American audiences to stomach. So he ended up winning his first Oscar with Spirited Away in 2001. Very cool stuff. And then in 2005, got a Lifetime Achievement Award. Not from the Oscars, though. From uh, the Venice Film Festival, so still cool. Mm-hmm. Still cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, he, renou- he announced his retirement in 2013, and he announced that this would be his last film. Um, the Wind Rises. Now, it's... That's not the first time he's announced it, though. No, yeah, it's not. Uh, oh, when was the first time? Uh, the first time was... Uh, oh, gosh. It was, you now. I don't it know, was, It was a long... No, I have it written down. It was a long time ago. I mean, we're talking way back. Like, uh, gosh, it was like Mononoke time. Yeah, like, before yeah. that. Yeah. It was before that. It might, even, it might have even been uh, an Oscar. I'm not even 100% sure. And then sure. he was just like, JK, yeah, I'm, I'm the kid. going. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so he came out. Now, I, I, I believe him this time, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's an old man now at this point. He's like 70-something now, huh? Seventy. Yeah. Yeah. But he's been so basically. Uh, so he's retiring from uh, doing feature films, but he's not retiring necessarily from short films. He also mm-hmm. has a short film coming out called Borrow the Caterpillar that'll be coming out, uh, as well as he has a slew of awards for all of his short film work. Um, what I really like though about The Wind Rises, uh, which is really unique about uh, Miyazaki, is that he's an artist. He's a true artist, and he stands firm to what he believes in. And before I even talk about The Wind Rises, he would not accept his Oscar for Spirited Away. He would not come to the States because he said he would not come here because we were bombing um, oh, that's we were, right. Yeah, we were bombing Iraq. Oh, yeah. And he, so he would not come to the States. He's very anti-war, which we'll find in this film. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he got a lot of criticism for this film in itself because um, it was considered a very anti-war film. And he was banded by some political parties as a traitor. And also as anti-Japanese for his mm-hmm. work on this film, which is too bad because uh, I think you know it, that that's just sucks. And ironically, an non-Japanese think it's a pro-Japan war film. Yeah, Isn't that so we'll get into that in a minute later. Yeah. But it's <laughs> and so uh, I love what he actually said, though. I want to uh, end with our, our background on Miyazaki with this incredible uh, thing that he said, which I actually very much agree with. Uh, he says that he does not like the current state of anime because it caters to the otaku who are sexualizing female children. Children and teens, that the characters are shallow and one-dimensional, and the great anime is produced by observing people in action. Freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. I love this man. Love him. The true artist right there, Miyazaki. So I commend you and give you, you know, massive props. Uh, fun fact about the film When Rises, that in 2013, it uh, was the box office record for the year. So it, you know, won all of uh, all the acclaim in terms of money for mm-hmm. 2013. So solid. In, in, Japan, in Japan, though. In Japan. In yeah. Japan. Not in the States. No, 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 yeah. no, no. <laughs> that would be an amazing feat for an anime right there. Yeah, I don't think an anime's yeah. ever been close. I think Dragon Ball Z was the closest at six. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Dragon Ball Z did really well. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, I mean, it is Dragon I mean, it's Dragon Balls. It's Dragon Balls. It's the Dragon Balls. So that's pretty sweet. There's a lot of controversy over this film I want to get into when we talk about it a little bit. But first, why don't we hear what the film's about? So this film, The Wind Rises, it is actually very, very loosely based off of the original chief engineer of, I think, Mitsubishi, who was an aircraft designer, um, Jiro Hiro. Horikoshi. It's okay. I mean, yeah, (laughs) Horikoshi. I mean, I had a hard time like 
listening to it. My subtitles in the one I was watching were awful, so I was like, what, <laughs> what, what is his name? You didn't watch the dub? No, no, we, we only watch official ones, no. guys. We don't, we don't oh. just sell them off. Oh, I did the dub. I, I oh, can't I do dubs. I, oh, no, I but can't the, do I dubs. Do I mean, if you're going to get all the Hollywood celebrities of white, uh, I was like, I'm going to do Didn't JGL do uh, yeah, the jig- yeah, uh, judo? Oh, my did. God. I should probably watch that at some point. I know. I never will. Oh. I will never watch the dub. I didn't wear my dub versus sub shirt tonight. Oh. Yeah, well, so this this movie is actually loosely based on the life of Jiro, Jiro-san, as they call him, and also a novel called The Wind Has Risen about a girl with tuberculosis. So the original Jiro was, you know, also the airplane designer, but he did not have a younger sister or marry anybody with tuberculosis. Correct. Um, It's kind of two storylines, which kind of confused me a bit, too. So you have Jiro, who's kind of this, like, uh getting inspired by his dream, like, Giovanni, what was his name? Giovanni oh, Caproni. Caproni. So, so he sees this guy in a dream and decides to become an airplane designer because he's nearsighted and can't fly planes. Mm-hmm. Then he meets this girl on the way to Tokyo to where he studies engineering and falls in love with her during the uh, Kanto earthquake. Yeah, that and thing is crazy. Yeah, it was, I mean, there was, like, a lot of history in it, and then... And then from there on, it kind of just goes back into his actual life and then goes into his love story. But it, it was very disjointed for me, personally. Yeah. It's I because, Miyazaki said, it's a love story about not only two people falling in love, but also between a creator and his work. Boom! Yeah. <laughs> it was a very, like, but overall, it was very, like, melancholy sort of yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the type of movie that, uh, okay, I, I like to equate it to Shakespeare. Where Shakespeare had uh, comedies, tragedies, and histories. This is a history. Mm-hmm. It is very much a history. And Shakespeare's histories are, tend to be very slow and and, and kind of uh, not nearly as interesting as anything else that's filled with all this, you know, crazy made-up love and passion and all this. This was, even though it was a lot of made-up stuff, yeah. obviously, because <laughs> uh, you have to make it a little more interesting, I guess. Um, it, it was really slow. It's two hours of really yeah. slow information. But it's a history, and it's beautiful. And I think that's the whole point of this, is that it's a beautiful art piece. A historical yeah, I, I believe, biopic. You know, it being Miyazaki's last work, he on purpose made it linger. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. whole tone, as you said, it was melancholy. It's they linger on the art of the animation. Yeah. Um, the the wind is its own character in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it just it it moves the characters to do other stuff. You know, in in the plot, and it's the, the force that lifts the planes that Jiro makes. But I think because it's nature, it's so nature inspired that 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 whole character is. It slows everything down, and I think that's it's meant to be a, a lingering movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're, you're meant to finish the movie and be like, oh, I could have done without the tuberculosis part, but like the, <laughs> the part, the like the history they kept because you know he um, he invented the most used uh, fighter jets during yes. fighter planes during World War II, and a lot of this focus on just kind of his early life while he was building these for the Japanese army, and how he's very he's he's not. For the war, he's kind of like, like I think he was most famously. It wasn't in the movie, but I think one of his most famous like quotes, um, which was really long, was just something about how he regretted like having these kind of beautiful things being used for like the ugly parts of humanity and stuff like that. Yeah, they touched upon that at the very end yeah. mm-hmm. when he was uh, when Jiro was in that final dream that mm-hmm. he 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 had a. Uh, uh, well, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he was just unhappy about the fact that his planes were used in such a way. Yeah. But, you know, of course, Caproni says, you know, but you have accomplished your dream. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. 
you want to hit it? I was going to say, yeah, well, I, I, could, I guess I can do it out of order. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's do yeah. it. So, you know, one of the biggest theme in this, the obvious thing, which I was not going to do first, but I'm going to do now, is that, you know, is dreams in creation and the results of having a dream and the results of um, achieving your dream is not always super great. <laughs> yeah, right? it's, it's, so, it's very real. Mm-hmm. Like The whole thing with, uh, I mean, the whole parallel you can see directly is Jiro and then also Miyazaki and his journey. Um, if you have any kind of creative dream and you've achieved it, when you're finished, you don't feel like you've done anything really amazing. You're like, well, now it's over. Like, what's left? And I think in, in a way this movie, you know, it shows... Um, you know, not only Miyazaki's feelings about, like, this is my last thing, I'm done, this is how I'm going to feel afterwards, but also, you know, that he feels that, you know, Judo and having his creations, his dream used for some, a negative purpose that he didn't intend. Also, in the same way, Miyazaki is, you know, he was running a film studio, like, he had to do yeah. a lot of things he didn't want to do. He had to sell tickets and make money, and um, he talks about it some more in, like, a different essay he wrote that, that you know, basically you can dream really great things and you can achieve your dreams, but someone's always going to take it out of your hands yeah. in the end. And you have to just appreciate it for what it is. And I think that's why, um, uh, what's her butt, dies. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, Naoko? Uh, no, Naoko, yeah. yeah. Na- yeah. Na- Naoko? Is it Naoko? Naoko. 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 There's like an extra ho in there somewhere. But, <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, Naoko. That's what I looked at. Okay. That's what it yeah, yeah, was. Naoko. So I that's think the, the point of her you know, dying is, you know, Jito's dream, it becomes, you know, it's his plain achieving that dream but also later his other dream is that you know is achieving a love so he yeah. achieves love but both of these things like his plans <laughs> his love must also go away but you have to appreciate it for what it was and I think it's just Miyazaki trying to double double reinforce you know his mm-hmm. um, feeling that you can create something but shit's gonna happen <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's the whole concept with creativity and in artistry in, in general that it's not the end result that you're seeking but it's the process yeah and the process is the most important part of what you're doing as any artist and uh, this movie definitely holds true mm-hmm. to that it's the process and the journey because at the end it's like you said it's like the end of the movie the graduate have you guys ever seen the end? No. No, it's, it's crazy at the end. He like bang, So it's this huge tumultuous moment where he's like banging on the windows to get the girl he loves mm. and then she's in the middle of her wedding and she runs out of the wedding. Oh my God, I know what you're talking about because right? it's been parodied so many times. Yes. So she runs out of the wedding and then they run off together like they're going to have the greatest life and then they jump on a bus to get away from like the people chasing them and they get on the back of the bus and they sit there and go... Oh, I've seen that yeah. parody yeah. before. It's yeah, just like exactly. quiet and awkward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like what happens now with mm-hmm. our lives. Um, yeah. oh, oh, he did give us a little something though. When uh, Naoko comes to him and says, "You know, live your life to the fullest." Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. a little nice touch. Mm-hmm. That's something different. It's it's like I mean, they, in this movie, I mean, Miyazaki's not really one to like pound things down so hard. Like as we say, show do not tell. Yeah. But yeah. you know, at the end of this movie, spoilers. Um, there is a kind of an epilogue, and so. You know, Jira has just finished proving that his plane design works, mm-hmm. and then it cuts, and then he's like, "Oh, the wind changes," because he realizes that you know his love has. Like, I think I mean on, she you know? she probably didn't die like right as she got in the train, but you know she's gone for him anyway. Mm-hmm. And then um, they go into this epilogue where he has a dream where he's talking to uh, uh, that dude Caproni, Caproni, Caproni. In, his, in his head. He's having a dream about it. It's a bad, a bad, a bad, Caproni. And Caproni says. <laughs> Um, ah, I'm seeing you here in our dream again, and, he, and then Jiro says very directly, "Is it? I can't tell. If this is a dream, or if this is." He says, "Jigoku, like uh, Jigoku Tani, like if this is like a hell valley, uh, you know, is this is this the dream, or is this like my worst nightmare?" Uh, and then he goes on to say, "Because my planes got used for, you know, bad things, etc." And yeah, I mean, because there's after 
in in the in the film he even says there's no more it, it must have been happening like way after that he says there's no more the, my zero planes are all gone mm-hmm. like no more exists they're mm-hmm. never made again and yeah. like that was his dream and it's just Oh, so it ends so like Jesus Christ. So I why well, have dreams? Yeah. <laughs> why have them? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, you're right. It's it's very bittersweet. It's mm-hmm. incredibly bittersweet. And yeah, all of his planes. You see the destruction of them and the destruction mm-hmm. they cause. And it's actually pretty, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. heart wrenching. They flash to a scene of just broken planes in a giant pile, and it's definitely supposed to be post war. Yeah. Um, and I think I heard that Miyazaki in an interview he said that the idea for Making he's he repeated a mini a mini manga from the story he read that someone else read I believe yeah it's from the original one, which is like the wind the wind has risen right mm-hmm. so he did a manga off of that and the reason he wanted to is because he had heard that in Judo's diaries he wrote that he was just really like kind of sad at the end of his life and just wrote I just wanted to make something beautiful and then that's you know Miyazaki really resonated with that and that's why he chose this as his last film yeah oh. so the original <laughs> the the actual Jiro not from the from not from the movie, um, he he actually went on to become a professor and like taught a lot, and he had he spoke out a lot about like against violence and anti-war stuff. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it really kind of resonates with the, with the tone of the film. Yeah, yeah and Miyazaki himself, they, Miyazaki is a very anti-war person. I mean, like I said, he wouldn't step foot in America because they were bombing Iraq, mm-hmm. and, and and even this movie itself has very strong undertones of being anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's it's fascinating. It reminds me of sort of like also. <laughs> sorry, I made a reference to Shakespeare and now Chekhov, a Chekhovian <laughs> play because all the action happens somewhere else. So the movie feels really mm-hmm. slow because like all this action is happening because war. War is happening, but right. you're just like with the lowly engineer who's like, "Hey, I'm just." I noticed just they didn't. They, I kept worrying. So before I saw this movie, I knew it was about the war, and immediately yeah. I'm thinking like, "Grave of the Fireflies." Oh God, yeah. everyone's yeah. gonna die! And I yeah. didn't want to see it. And then I watched it, and I was messaging uh, Yume at the same time I was watching it. And I'm like, "Oh my God, only one person died!" Like it's one. Yeah, technically, it, you only see one. You don't even see her die. No. You just you just know that you know his wife dies at the end. But even like all like all the failed planes and stuff, you see they always make sure they show the pilot getting out in a parachute and people yeah. going to get him. They make a yeah. big point of being yeah. like, nobody even, dies. It's okay. Even in the the scene where they depict the Kanto um, earthquake, yeah. there's yeah. no death. There's it's absolutely we, yeah. no death. There's a lot of like near misses, but people died. Yeah. Lots of people died during that. You know, I've noticed that uh, I, maybe I, I need you guys to help me on this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I've noticed especially in the last few films, uh, Arietti, Ponyo, they're all very more, much more family friendly uh-huh. as opposed to like Mononoke and Nausicaa, which is just, you know, yeah. Large amounts of death. So I'm wondering if this is something that's really with age. Mm-hmm. With age, he's becoming much more family friendly. So even something like this, which has a lot of death and destruction, he's mm-hmm. not necessarily going to show it to you because yeah. yeah. it's more about the story and the artistry of it, and he doesn't want to like get caught up on that. Yeah, maybe because yeah, I again, this I, <laughs> my biggest fear is seeing cartoon characters die. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh god. So I was, I was. I was surprised, but it's still. But even though there wasn't violent death in this movie, it was still so like, you know. Again, it ended on such a melancholy note. Yeah. And on that note, I think we should talk about the huge anti-war message, which, <laughs> Do which it. as we mentioned, yes. Um, so Japanese nationalists were like, "Oh, this is anti-Japanese. Mm-hmm. You're saying that war is bad, and we shouldn't have gone to war." Da da da. And then um, there's tons and tons of uh, articles about this, but like basically, uh, it was in South Korea, for example. They are like, oh, this is a stupid right wing. Like, you think a war is so great. You think, like, you know, so people not who are not Japanese think it's pro war, um, which is why Miyazaki actually wrote an essay that you should really, um, that you should really read it, it, to be combined with watching the movie because he, mm-hmm. his whole life, 
I mean, is about creating movies and then people take them apart. And he's mm-hmm. just like, God damn it, you know, this is not this is not the point of it. So he actually wrote an essay in the um, there's a monthly periodical in the, called what is it uh, Nepu, which is issued by Miyazaki Studio Ghibli. And in this essay, he just spells out like this is this is the, I'm against the war, yeah. and this part of my message is or. It, it came. This issue came out the same month that his movie did. So he doesn't say my movie means this. He's just talking. He's just being so direct about his feeling about yeah. um, during this time. Uh, the prime minister uh, Shinzo Abe, fucking Abe. That guy. <laughs> that guy like tried. I think he resigned once and then went back into power. Yeah. He, he, he like almost resigned like twenty times. Anyway, so Abe is trying to. I think I don't know, but I think it passed. Actually, um, he started to, when the movie came out. He started to try to redact Article 9 in their, um, yeah. it's not their constitution, but in their, Japan's constitution, mm-hmm. which is that Japan will never have military forces. They'll only have a self-defense force, which is uh-huh. all they've ever had for years, since World War since II, basically. War II, because yeah. after World War II, America was like, you, like, can't, you, have, can't, have you can't have an army yeah. anymore. And they're yeah. like, oops. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, so they they recently, I think it just passed, like like last month, because I heard on NPR, and everyone knows NPR is right, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that they are going to start having military forces again, and not just, um, you know, so in not just self-defense forces. Mm-hmm. And so Miyazaki is just so against this, you know. He um, he he directly denounces it in his essay. Um, and he mentions... Oh man, this is like a rough quote. <laughs> he says, I am taken aback by the lack of knowledge among government and political party leaders on historical facts. Which he means, you know... Um, in other words, he's saying they're repeating the past. During yeah. World War II... They went into World War II not really knowing about the... They knew... Like, people in... Scientists knew about the huge technology gap between mm-hmm. Japan and the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Judo, in some of his in some of his diary entries, which I was reading on Wikipedia, I was just like googling the shit out of this last night. Um, he was saying like he became very he was very anti-war because he's like anybody who knows anything about math or science can look at all these documents from other countries from the Western world versus what we have, and it's it's staggering. Of course, we're going to lose this war. We were yeah. entering this losing war. And uh, anyway, in that same way, Miyazaki is is like, have we learned? Have we learned nothing? And it's not it's not about like, you know, now is, is the West so much more advanced than Japan? Miyazaki was saying that it's about that our country, our little tiny country. We have thirty million people here, and our economy has been denuclearized. We are people that promote like, prosperity yeah. and you know being kind to each other, and like we can't turn back into this. So mm-hmm. he's like super not cool with. All of that, and he, you know, he states it outright, and it's like you should really read this essay and see this movie together because it really makes a huge statement about how he feels about you know war in general. Yeah. Sure, way to lay it down. Yeah. Way to lay it down. <laughs> it was really heavy, though. I mean, because like yeah. I mean, if you if you follow any Japanese news at all, you know that uh, since Abe's been in power, there has been a huge conservative movement in Japan, mm-hmm. and it's it's very weird. I mean, you see a lot of the stuff that they like I've seen recently. Like, there's like weird artist stuff like that are anti like refugees and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and you're just kind of like, wow. You know, in the movie again, when Miyazaki talks about like how we forgot in the past. Um, that German guy in the movie that they see that German uh, guy himself. Kaspor. 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 The one German guy who yeah. speaks Japanese in this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With that German accent. Yeah, and he's, he's at that inn. Uh, he kind of goes into this weird, he, you know, they, they pan very close to his face and he starts saying, like, Japan is a good place to forget. You come here, you know, you forget about, he starts naming all these atrocities, like, mm-hmm. but if it happens and, you know, but then you live here, you don't even think about it, like, forget it, you just, it's fine. So I think that part of the movie is so strongly about, like, people in Japan right now are trying to, like, 
not everybody, but like the political parties are just being like, this is fine. We didn't, we don't remember any of that. It's nothing bad's going to happen. You know, I dig this. I mean, this is, I think, exactly what Miyazaki would be hoping for, (laughs) is that look at what this, this, even this review has become. It's become very political, this very political discussion, Mm -hmm. uh, very political discussion about war and and about what it means. I mean, this is what art is supposed to do. This is what good art does. It creates conversation and makes you think. It's not just, oh, look, her, her, you know, we're seeing 40 butt shots. You (laughs) know what I mean? Which we've we've done. We've done that. Yeah, we've done that. Episode one, guys, go back and you want to look at that, just butts. Yep. (laughs) You know, lots of butt. And in this it's, it's about creating conversation, mm-hmm. and I love that. I love that about this film. I will say, in terms of flaws, though, it does have some flaws as a film. Yes. I mean, being very specific, it has some weird time jumps. It does. Yeah. And and it, it, for you guys, when you watch it, it's a bit jarring, some of the time jumps. It it kind of moves in a way at times that, that doesn't fit with the plot so well, and you kind of catch yourself going, whoa, 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 let me get, catch up with what just happened. Like, where's our character? Oh, that's our lead. And yeah. So you may miss a little bit because it is a bit strange. The storytelling aspect has some holes mm-hmm. because of that. But, I mean, it makes itself up along the way. It makes up for it, but it's definitely yeah. a little holy. I guess, you know, when it did the time jumps, I wasn't so... It didn't bother me only because I always worry. I'm the kind of person that when a movie starts and it gets close to the middle, I'm like, oh, God, how much is left? Like, if I'm enjoying it a lot, I worry about when it's going to (laughs) end, like, (laughs) time-wise. And so for me, but the other the other problem... Conversely, I worry about it taking too long to get shit done. Yeah. So in this movie, it starts when he's, like, still in school, and I'm like, oh, my... When he's a little kid, I'm like, oh, my God, are we going to watch him fucking grow up for, like, two hours? Jesus Christ. But they skip... (laughs) He's from a child, then he's in, uh, I guess, college, college, and then he's just ending college, then he's at work. It kind of goes boom, boom, boom immediately to show the child becoming an adult. But I was really worried we are going to have, like, two hours of him being in high school, being... See, but that was was my problem, because he's, like, he meets meets Naoko, and he's, like, like, on the train... And then, like, she doesn't appear again until, like, he's like, oh, well. A lot my- older, yeah. Yeah, and he's older. like, well, my shit failed, so I'm going to go hang out at this inn. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, it could have been, you know, he meets her, let's see, he meets her during the earthquake. He goes back mm-hmm. to school. He gets transferred to a different school. Two, two years have passed. Then the girl drops off that lunch. His Her maid drops yes, off that. Yes, drops lo- off. Lo- yeah. Lunchbox thing? Lunch yeah, sure. And then, so that's two... And then he's at that other place for maybe four... So it's been like five years or something? Yeah, and they try to make references to it. You know, Mm -hmm. try to make references. Like, if the next... uh, During the time jump, you know, they try to make references back just to, like, give you a little bit of information. Like, oh, it's five years from now. Um, It's it's still a little odd. But it's still... I mean, it works. It'll work out in the end for you. Um, I want to talk about his boss. Oh, he was so mean at first, and then he's like, he's a nice guy. His boss is sort of like from the Incredibles, uh, Mr. Incredibles' boss at, like, the insurance company. If you guys remember, he's like this little guy who's like, man, you guys gotta get to work, man. (laughs) And that's how he starts off, and he turns out to be this really, like, warm, like, Like, character. I know, he was so nice to the end. I was like, man. Because Miyazaki's characters, they all got two sides, bro. That's called round. That's called having a round character. That's good storytelling, people. None of this flat character stuff. Oh, um, but on that subject of the characters, it is interesting that because of some of the time jumps, 
you don't get to really delve into a couple of characters that you should feel more for, like Naoko mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. passing. I wanted to feel a little more for her, but I didn't get enough of yeah. her because of the jumps. In Caspor as well, you get like, you know, this much of him, which he's that old lady Bobbity character from all of Miyazaki's films. Yeah. Like the old, you know, the old lady with the big nose. That's like the character in this film, which you, you know, you'll see that character in every film that Miyazaki does. And that's that guy. And you only get him for like this amount of time. And, mm-hmm. and so there are, you don't get to really build some of the side characters as much, or especially the wife who Naoko should yeah, be. Yeah, because like, because there wasn't an, any sort of real development on Naoko, like I, I didn't, I wasn't sold on their love. And when she died, I was like, oh, that's sad, you know, cool. But like his friend, you see most of, of Hanjo, like, Hanjo, Hanjo. Yeah, who is also, yeah. who is also a, a notable historical character. Yeah, he's who is, a real person. Yeah, he's also, a real person. Yeah. He also designed a bunch of, of fighter planes. Mm-hmm. But like they focus more on him. And then like he like drops off. And yeah. I was like, wait, what happened to I him? I kind of thought they'd bring him back because, yeah. I mean, during this movie, he represented the voice of like frustrated Japan. Like, yeah. He was basically just like, ah, come on, let's go, ah, give me a smoke, oh, okay, he's, he's always forcing, it's like he was, he was the yin to Jiro's yang. Yeah. Because, um, you know what really struck me, actually, because when you see Honju being so, like, like he's, his hair was always just, like, bristling. Yeah. Um, is that Jiro's character, the way they portray him, even from the beginning, like, he has, like, a slight lisp in his voice, he is just, he's so polite. Like, mm-hmm. he's, like, a very, like, I am a straight-A student, and I'm a... <laughs> what did I lose? It's, um... Oh, that was my phone. That was my phone. <laughs> but he's, he's so, like, straight-laced and, and polite, and I think they just try to make him overly perfect so that, you know, you can see he did not want to make war. Uh-huh. But I, I don't know, usually that would annoy me, but it's like he was so likable. Like, he just really wanted to get his job done. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. in the in the dub, uh, they had uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing AGL, it. Yeah. And yeah. you would yeah. never guess, because in the dub, he's, during the whole time, he's very monotone. He's, hey, yes, yes, I like to make planes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah. he's kind of like that, but you're right. At, for a little while, I was like, oh, gosh, he doesn't really have a whole lot of emotion going. But you love him. Mm-hmm. You love him. It's very likable. He's a very likable, lovable character. It's like you look at him and you just see... You don't have to hear him say anything. You can hear him... You can, like, see him thinking mm-hmm. and see how he's getting to conclusions. And, you know, they only show him... Like, that one scene where they show him uh, teaching a... What was it? Like, a creative seminar on how mm-hmm. to design planes. To a bunch of, like, students who are all like, rubble, 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 oh, yeah, you know? I love that. Yeah, I love yeah. the rubble, rubble, rubble scenes where there's, like, <laughs> these guys are just going... Rubble, rubble, rubble. That was a couple of times. There's a lot of rubble, rubble yeah. scenes in this movie... Where the people are, I was listening close. Like they're not even speaking languages. Yeah. They're just going hey, like they're just making noises. <laughs> that, <laughs> like that, the teachers yeah. from Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, wah, wah. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that scene where he's teaching the the other students, you know, how to design planes. That he's just he's like he's really lit up, and I think that's yeah. like the most emotion you get out of him. And then also when he hears. That's that's his most emotional part, and then also when he hears that um, Noko's lung had collapsed, I like died because he got he did that puffy thing where. In Miyazaki movies, they yeah. they just when they're really upset, and they breathe in, their whole body gets bigger in yeah. front of their face, and then water comes out of his eyes. And <laughs> it's a really intense scene. Like when you get to that point of she, the blood that comes out and the music behind it, which the score is really nice. Mm-hmm. I love the score to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the blood that's just pouring out. It's sort of like when in a Miyazaki movie in Ghibli, even when they when they cry and just tears and the yeah, tears it's flow just out. Like, just puddles coming out of their face. Yeah, the blood was the same way, and that was really intense, and the music behind it was powerful. But yeah, you're right, you got to see Jiro's character it kind of explode with emotion, which you rarely ever see in this film. It was strange to me, though, that, like, she was fine after that, or whatever. Like, he does a dramatic <laughs> scene, he, like, runs to Tokyo, they, like, stop a bus and get on to get the express train to Tokyo. He gets there, and she's, like, 
I mean, we all, like, the audience knows, like, we know she's dying and she's, like, playing it off. But mm-hmm. then after that, like, it's kind of, okay, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, she hasn't died like, for, like, a it's, long it's time. It's one of the issues that I have. It's like, it's like, you get these really emotional parts and then you're just like, okay, well, that happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know? he, he gets, so he gets all the way to Naoko. He runs through the garden because it's faster. The garden is faster than going through the front door. That's mm-hmm. a, a fun little line. And he gets to her. And then he's like, oh, good. I'm here. I love you. I love you. Okay, that's great. I, I gotta go back now. <laughs> like yeah. I gotta go that back to work. collapsing, but gotta go. Yeah, he was like, thanks. "Oh, father, he's he has to leave now, right now." I'm like, "But you just were here for like ten minutes, or I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure some time had passed." Even, was, I was kind of like, "Did you guys just make out?" I kind of thought because they're kind of like panned away, and I was like, oh, "I don't know what happened here." Guys. <laughs> <laughs> he impregnated her in that minute, right there. In real life, he had three children. His wife did not have TB, yeah. and he lived a very long life. He, I think he he died it. Maybe eighty or something, or something. yeah, he did of old age. But I feel like TB is kind of the equivalent. You like in Korean dramas, everybody gets leukemia. You know, like <laughs> TB for Japan is leukemia for Korea. Like everybody, like seriously, in Korean dramas, everybody's like, "Oh, I'm just gonna die this beautiful death from leukemia." I feel like a lot of like when it's tragic in Japan, they've got TB, and I'm mm. like, what, "Where does this obsession with tragic TB come from?" Tragic TB, so, tragic like, TB, so, CTB. So Didn't somebody else in a music movie have TB? Where they, didn't they infer that the the wife had it in uh, in uh, Totoro? I think so. The yes, because mom, the mom's like away, and they go visit her somewhere. And she had TB. She people. I think people thought she had TB. Internet, tell us if she had TB. And yeah, you guys. Please, I'm looking at the chat room. By the way, thanks, yeah. thanks for <laughs> so engaging. This, this book that part of the Wind Rises is based off of is about a girl who lives in a hospital that has TB, which has been adapted, I think, two or three times into other films other than. So I'm almost like, why is TB just like? In the air in Japan, like everybody gets TV. You know, I'm one of those really neurotic people that after I watched this movie, I started Google. I'm like, I'm like, what? I was like, what is t- what is tuberculosis? I looked it up, and I was like, oh, it's really contagious. I'm like, can I get it? Do I have it right now? Oh, no. <laughs> and my husband is immediately like, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> stop WebMDing. Go to bed. Have, if you have TB or not, Michelle. <laughs> you, I'm sure that you do not well, have I had TB. A, I had a lingering cough, and I thought it could be TB. <laughs> Guys, don't go to WebMD ever, ever. Oh, no, WebMD is just like, it could be nothing. It could be cancer. Yeah, it's almost always cancer in WebMD. <laughs> you go to WebMD to think the worst of any sickness yeah. that you have. Oh, I an itchy back. Oh yeah, you have AIDS. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's how. That's how you know. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, something in this film that made me laugh, and it kept catching my attention through. Well, it kind of stopped. I felt later in the film, but maybe I was just less. I, I was just used to it by that point. Was that all of the machines? And even the earthquake had, like, human voices. Yes, yeah. Like, when the propeller would go, it wouldn't sound like an actual machine propeller. It sounded like a guy going... Yeah. <laughs> they were all very cartoony sound effects. Yeah. Everything. I noticed that, too, and I'm like, am I just... Is that what old-timey things sounded like? I think or is this... <laughs> I think it's because he wanted to give it some sort of, like, human element to everything that happened. Yes, so even the earthquake. Like, yeah, like, as if it's, like, a it was, person. Because the sound was, like, it was, like... Hum, like some guy was yeah. just saying, like hum. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was it was an artistic choice. Totally, and I caught that because the earthquake went like it was like a guy going. Hurrah! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so everything was just human. like just yeah. like the wind, just yeah. like yeah. the wind that rose and rose. the wind of this is something going. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I totally felt uh, there was a couple times they say it in the film, and I, I thought about you when I was watching it. Um, your pet peeve. 
Oh. Is hey, the wind I thought it was going to be something good. <laughs> you thought it was going to be something good. I, it, was, it was because early on in the film when he's riding the train, uh, you know, he says, you know, is the wind rising? Or, oh, the wind is rising. And I was like, oh, no. no Michelle's no. going to hate that. The little girl says it first in, uh-huh. Ital- in his Italian French. Italian? I think it's Italian. Says it in Italian. Mm-hmm. He responds in her Italian. Everyone speaks Italian in the strain, apparently. I was like, that was, I was very like, this did not happen in real life. This little girl did not. I didn't, they never say what their age gap was, but in when he first meets her, people in the audience, it's she's she's like, you know, a little thing. Mm-hmm. She's, she's like, got to be like She's like the young miss. Yeah. Maybe she was 11. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you 11, 12. Yeah. We could push. She and- wasn't like... 17. No. Yeah. So he's, you know, if he's going to college, like six years older. Yeah. Yeah. It's, for, it's fine. Yeah. That's but that, that that young girl, she knew her some Italian. And she knew to say it to this guy who also had read the same book as her. <laughs> yeah. say, was she sitting around with TV? Like, reading? <laughs> like, re- wait, when did she say her mother, her mother, when did her mother get tuberculosis? I feel like when you say TV, it really reduces yeah. <laughs> what tuberculosis is. Um she doesn't say. She just says, like, "Oh, my mother had it, and she died." She said she died two years ago. Oh, so maybe yeah. she had it before that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's something about the the voices. Also, when you're watching it, and if you watch the dub, there's a couple points where you know they're speaking Japanese, even though they're speaking English. So he's like, "Oh, you speak English," you know. And it's like, "Oh, you speak," and so the translation will seem a little strange for you just because they are making reference to what language they're speaking, even though they're mm-hmm. always speaking English. I don't yeah. know if that's confusing. Yeah, what I just in, said. in what? Japanese, okay. Japanese is the same in Japanese. Thing. Okay. Actually, I, I noticed when they they didn't do the whole time the, when they went to go, visit the, go to Germany to visit the compound or whatever and look at the planes. When the German officers started talking, they started speaking. You would hear German, but then it switched to Japanese. Mm-hmm. But you could hear the German under it a little bit. But yeah. they did it at first, and then they stopped doing that. Then the Germans were just speaking Japanese with a really heavy German accent. Interesting. It was weird because yeah. they, were, they were just playing two tracks over each. Yeah, other. it was very confusing for me. I was like, you could just tell me in German but then it was just like three languages going on and they don't tell you when the switches like, and I was like, like fuck subtitles I was like wait are the two Japanese guys speaking German or are the German people speaking Japanese it just, it, yeah because the Japanese like, people spoke their Japanese to the Germans with a German accent did you notice that they would like they would say like you know sasate kureru like they were just, they were just saying it like not normal Japanese yes. and I thought that was weird Convoluted. Convoluted. But then when the Germans, so when that, specific, specifically when that one German dude, whose name I can't remember, at the, at the inn that they were at. Kaspor. Kaspor. Yeah. When he spoke Japanese, I was very impressed. I was too. They didn't turn him into what all anime tends to do. And what actually a lot of, a lot of Japanese live action dramas do this too. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, are you foreign? You're gonna speak the weirdest effing Japanese you've ever heard. But he just, but in this, in this film, his voice actor just speaks a slow, very simple. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, you're a foreigner and you speak really messed up Japanese, but your your language and and your particles are like perfect. Yeah. You know? But he just speaks in like, like three like three word sentences, very slow. It's so like a slight German, like well, heavy German accent. And I was really yeah. like, wow, you I didn't make him into a fool. Yeah, I appreciated nice. that because because I noticed it too because when I was watching it because my um because he would talk and I was like, he doesn't sound like every every freaking gaijin in, in anime, which is like. Like, Ohio, arigato. Yeah. And instead, he was just like, he just spoke slowly, like staccato. And I just, yeah. I, I was like, thank you for not. <laughs> Go, men, nasai. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Nice. So I was like, thank you for not being racist. I know. <laughs> Basically. As <laughs> that is. Yeah. It, it's fascinating to hear the difference because you guys saw the, the sub where I saw the dub. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. I, the, the, dub, the dub cast had like Mandy Patinkin. In it, which is fantastic. If you guys don't know, he's a famous Broadway star. You know who Mandy Patinkin is? 
My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. No! Yes. Who is He's he? He's in it. Oh my gosh. I have to look. Oh, well, see, you're the worst. I know, right? I'm the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. And also, gosh, they, they like, I think Elijah Wood was a small bit character also. Yeah, yeah. Elijah Wood, yeah, our they, brosa. Disney was like, we're just going to throw the Disney dollars <laughs> out. Oh, yeah. I think I mean, these actors must sign contracts. They're like, you must do so much voice acting per year and you'll do it for each studio. Each Sorry. I was getting the legalese of it, but this is what happens. When a studio allows an actor to do a major like motion picture, they also have to sign, like, usually it includes some clauses, like, you must do these kinds of other films as well, which is why you end up seeing weird shit like, um... Elijah Wood in like a funny rom com like a year later like what happened here it's like it was part of that he has to you gotta play the piper he can't just yeah. <laughs> they contract you for multiple films like Jamie mm-hmm. Foxx did Ray and then he won the Oscar for it and then the next film that came out was like Flight mm-hmm. but it's because they they you're right they contract him for three not films not to say that being involved right. in this film for an American actor isn't a great you know it's a yeah. it's a it's a great honor <laughs> but. I think some of them are just like, I don't know what this is, whatever, it's fine. Because <laughs> yeah. there were some crazy A-list names attached to it. Big time. But there always are for Miyazaki films. Yeah. Ever since Mononoke. Yeah. Claire Danes. Thank you. She wasn't A-list back then, though. Yeah, but I have a big crush She wasn't. She had a big gap in her career. That was, that was before that was her post, show That was post-Romeo and no, Juliet, though. It was post, it was post-My So-Called Life. No, no, but remember there was that gap between that and Fringe. Oh. Between all of that, she did that, and then just, and then Fringe. She didn't do Fringe. It was post-Romeo whatever. and Juliet. What's her name? What is it? Thank you. See, see where I'm at with Claire Danes. I know everything about her early life. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. but the Japanese voice acting I think was was outstanding as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had no no qual- the little the little list he had even as a kid was really it was really cute. I don't know if you guys could hear it, but it's kind of like I can't really recreate it. He kind of like closes his end of a sentence with like his tongue. No, I just, in, in the dub, I didn't notice it. I didn't didn't strike my ear. Yeah, I know. All right. Yeah, if you guys uh, per, have seen this in either, let, let us know if you prefer the sub or the dub. Yeah. If you've seen a little bit of both, like we'd love to hear your your ideas and thoughts on that. That's pretty cool. Uh, how about this? Uh, what about uh, favorites? Favorite moments? Favorite lines? Favorite uh, scenes from this film? I know mine. My favorite scene, I think because a lot of the movie dragged on, my favorite scene is actually in the beginning when he's on the rooftop with his little sister mm. and they're looking at the stars and she's like, oh, why aren't you wearing your glasses? And he's like, oh, I see the stars better when I don't. And then you're like, oh, he's nearsighted mm-hmm. or whatever. And then uh, as he, they're looking up at the stars and he's getting annoyed with his little sister, like you see him kind of like go into his like dream world where he meets uh, Caproni Caproni for the first time but I thought it was really really well animated and it was a nice transition because it was the only time he got into dream world where I wasn't like con- completely confused of like what what year is this what, what's happening here <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, some of the dream sequences. Yeah, I didn't understand what was going on. The one at the end where he's with, they're in that passenger plane and it's like full of people like bursting. I didn't, am I not smart enough to understand? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it represents like, you know, he says, I'm done, I'm done building my war machines. Now this, now he's finally basically made his passenger machine, passenger plane. But didn't it fail in real life? Isn't that what they, didn't they refer to that? Yeah. Yeah, It was too big. Yeah. Or whatever. Or whatever. Um, But in his dream, he succeeds. Oh, look, we're figuring it out now. That's why. Because yeah. he, he just... But that's not what dreams are, man. You can't yeah. you can't run around with your dreams and enjoy them all yeah, the time. Yeah, that, that definitely was one of the ones. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that definitely makes Caproni such more more of a tragic character that in real life he'd never accomplished his dream. Right. You but know, in Jiro's head, he did. Yeah. But even in Jiro, like, even though he accomplished his dream, it was used for purposes that he wasn't proud of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... It, and again, it just goes back into that, like, well... Yeah, is this movie just really about broken dreams? I mean, it's not, you know, I, I think it's about maybe the dream looks broken, but really you, you actually you did it, so it's not... 
you should be happy. You just can't feel it because it's over. I think it's more like what Jonathan says, where just like you realize, like as somebody who's a creative or a dreamer, it's not really about the end result. But it's about the, getting there. The process, the process of getting there, which leads me to my favorite moment, and I'm realizing why it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, when oh gosh, it's so great when Jito first enters his job at Mitsubishi and he meets his mean boss and puts him on an impossible project he already finished. Um, he sits down and. He, there's no talking. You just hear like kind of like da, 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 like upbeat violin music, and he starts to. You see him thinking and looking, and, and like his boss is watching him as he like kind of is like drawing really you know intensely. Gets up, goes and gets reference materials, goes back. You can just this whole. It's like the, the tinkering montage. You know, mm-hmm. he's examining and figuring out the problems, and you know he's he's in that first that beautiful. As like Chris, if anybody watching this is a creative, you understand those first couple of moments when you start a project that you that you think could be really cool mm-hmm. and you're like just get you're like you're just starting to google references and you're getting like really inspired yeah and you're kind of you see it in his eyes like in 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 this in the way they animate this the scene this really great montage scene is that this is like his dream is really maybe more about getting there mm-hmm. um because when he, and he you know you see how excited he is even when that first plane that he helps design crashes he's still yeah. so like He's like like smiling a little bit, and his boss is like, "No, this is the end. We like this is our time to get this contract, and now we didn't get it, and we can't ever go back and get to do this again." Yeah. He's still like happy. He's like, "I'll mm-hmm. never forget this moment because yeah. he's still he's getting he's getting to his dream. He's not there yet." I love I that line. Well. I'll never forget this moment, even though it was a, like essentially a complete failure, mm-hmm. yeah. but it wasn't. It wasn't to him. Though. Yeah. That's a, that's a nice moment. That's actually really beautiful. That's, that's How about your beautiful. shadow? What was your favorite? Oh, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where I, I still don't even know 100%. Because um, it, it, the movie itself is so beautiful and so stunning. Mm-hmm. It's a gorgeous film to watch. It's so pretty uh, and, and beautifully well and well done. Um, you know, I mean, it's going to be a dream sequence. And for me, it's maybe when they both climb up to the, the wing of the plane and they're just standing off, you know, sort of you know, gaping out at the creation of, of, of life, you know, like experiencing this moment together. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll go with that because the wind was rising. <laughs> you know what's weird is that in the, like, you know when your dream references that it's a dream? Like when you have a real dream, like yeah. in real life? In that dream, uh, Caproni says... Let's go out on the wing. We can't do this in real life, but it's a dream, so it's fine. And I'm like, whoa, guys, what's they going on? Like the entire, they do it the whole time. Yeah, like yeah. it's just like in the beginning, the first one, he's like, but this is my dream. What are you doing? He's like, oh, this is your dream. This is my dream. We're meeting together in a dream. And I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that moment a lot, though, because it said to me, like, it said to me that you're not, you're not alone. Yeah, you know? it's you're, true. You're not alone in having, in wanting to do this thing. Maybe somebody else wants to do exactly the same thing. Or maybe it's just that we all have dreams. So... Together we are trying to do this thing. Even if you don't really know each other in real life, you're you're kind of part of a, something bigger. Yeah, making planes yeah. in this case. But yeah, and it's cool to just call really reference sweet. to yeah. it. Like you know, your dream, my dream. Who cares? Let's go walk on a plane. This is what we're all here about. Yeah. Oh, one thing I do want to mention, I f- totally forgot, is the, his little sister. What a progressive, cool thing they did with mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. about her becoming a doctor. I think she was like a nurse. <laughs> Close on now. So she like, went to she medical asked, school. I was like, you can't become a doctor. <laughs> she graduated from medical school. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and it was that whole concept that like she couldn't do something like that. You know, mm-hmm. she wasn't allowed to do something like that. And then you know, she, and she did. And it wasn't even a big deal. Like the next time he sees her, he's yeah. like, oh yeah, you graduated from medical school. So yeah. Like great. nobody questions. But it. why did he always forget about her? Like, oh my god. I think it was twice or three times he forgot about her because yeah. she was like, the first time was like, you promised to play with me. The second time is he, she comes to visit him in Tokyo and she, and, and she's like waiting for him and he's like, oh sorry. I forgot that you were going 
come to me. And then, and then again at the end, when um, she meets his sister. Yeah, when she meets or the, when she meet when his sister meets the, his wife. His wife, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Why is he always like, oh, I forgot you were there, girl? Because he's a terrible Nissan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And that's Bad the other brother. theme of this film: yeah. being a terrible Nissan. <laughs> yeah, he really was. He was not a good big brother. Take that, Jiro. Like she loved, like her sister. His his sister really wanted to play with him, and he was like, yeah. "No, go away, be quiet, get out of here." And then doesn't really change when he gets older. Yeah, and it, it's to me, it's funny because like the sister, even from the get go, like that's, I, I think that's why I like the scene so much. Like she was really talkative, and like she was very interesting from the get go. Mm-hmm. But then she kind of fades away. But it's one of those things that Miyazaki is very good at writing female characters. That I even throughout the film, I found her to be the strongest character. Yeah. Even though she showed up like four or five times only. She was the most interesting one. She had a great voice in terms of like being strong spoken. She followed her dreams. She said what she meant. Yeah. yeah. She's a great character. Well, we yeah. didn't see her struggle though. We don't yeah. know. We don't know. No. We don't, and like Judo, we did, if we didn't watch this movie, we were just like, oh, this, this smart bitch just made some planes that were really good. Yeah. You know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. We don't know her story. That's part yeah. two. <laughs> that means like he's never going to write. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, let's do some final thoughts. And uh, final thoughts and, of course, dun, 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 ratings. Oh, ratings. We're doing that, I guess, out of five. Five star, you know. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't – it's – I mean, as – I wouldn't I wouldn't even say this, like, as, as an anime movie. Like, as a movie, it's, it's like, a strong, like, four point – Seven five. Nice. The .25 is for like what the fuck is happening with this other stuff? Like just the weird, <laughs> some of the weird artistic choices, which I guess are just artistic. I don't know. Maybe it's a five, and I just can't see. I'm just not artistic enough to, to really. I don't know. It might be a five. I don't know. I'm confused. Yeah. Oh god. He's <laughs> like, what you do to me? <laughs> four and three quarters. Four and three quarters. Is I think for me, it's just a flat four. I think the problems I had with the pacing and like kind of just disjointedness of it kind of pulled me out of it which is I think is weird for a Miyazaki film because I expected it to be emotional and better than it was but I think a lot of the times when the, like the weird plot holes and the time skips kind of pulled me away from it and I couldn't really enjoy it um, and then I couldn't connect with the, like other than Jira I couldn't connect with a lot of the characters mm-hmm. yeah um, for me it's a uh, it's a, a solid 4.5 uh, I think it, the the flaws I, I'm in complete agreement with. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, being his last film, I think it was just a stunning piece of work. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't Princess Mononoke for me, it which I, which to me is a five. Like, yeah. if yeah, you want to exactly. know, yeah, five is Princess Mononoke. This is a four point five, and that's still incredibly good. Mm-hmm. And but for a Miyazaki film, I think it was strong, not his strongest, not his best. It's what he went out with, which is cool. It's what he wanted. To. It, yeah, yeah. It's kind of what he wanted. So. And, and we got to hear his voice, so I got much love for Miyazaki for that. Um, not his best, but certainly fantastic. Yeah, 4.5. it's still very good. Yeah. yeah, if you're a Miyazaki fan, you have to watch it. Period. You have to watch it. It's his last film, so make sure you go watch this film. <laughs> Don't buy it, it like I did. Don't worry about the death. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. There's no sad you're, orphan you're death. Gonna, I, I cry at the end, though. I cried. Yeah. Oh, there it is. How do you feel? Crying. Do you feel emotional right now? Ugh. Do you feel emotional? It's not Grave of the Fireflies. It's not going to... Which he didn't direct. He didn't direct Grave of the Fireflies. Right, right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's it's not going to kill you. This one is, is nice. It's slow. It's slow, so it's going to take you a little bit of time, so don't worry about that. Um, Want to let you guys know we are doing next week... The live action movie version of Paradise Kiss. Yeah. So we don't just do animation, anime movies here. We also do movies 
based on anime, anime that are live action. So this is going to be a real treat. Go find it. It's on YouTube <laughs> and watch it and then come visit us next week. We talk about it. I'm really excited. Yes. <laughs> That's right, you guys. You're watching us right here. You can make sure to watch us on YouTube, uh, Popcorn Talk, you know, where, what other channels we got out there. We got a whole bunch. I um, I'm at I am Chubby Bunny on the internet. You can find me there. And I am at Human Ninja everywhere on the internet. And I am at Kaiba Cat. You can find me on the internet on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks so much, you guys, for watching this Popcorn Talk. We will see you next week for Paradise Kiss. Signing off. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.